0: again, good morning. Hopefully you've been enjoying this series. For those who've been a part of it and who've been uh, tracking along with it, again, if you're you're new this week, it's online uh, at meadowlandchurch.org, as well as if you want to search out for the the Meadowland app, it's on there as well. well. One of the things that I've really loved about this series is as we look at these different biblical characters and see how when we really see how their story foreshadows the story of Jesus. We can also look at where we stand today, a place in history, a point where Jesus has already come and is available to us, and we can really see that our own lives tell a better story when Jesus is a part of it. There's a true and better story for Steve being told when it's told through Jesus when I was told about how God is working in and through my life. And the same is true for each one of us. And next week, when we have that, the, the privilege and the joy of being able to see a testimony video from, uh, from someone here at Meadowland. It's kind of sharing that reality about how when she trusted in Jesus, how it really played out to a, a true and better story in her life. And so uh, I'd encourage you to think about that in your own life. What does that look like? How, how is my story a true and better story now that, that I've Uh, I found Jesus and I'm walking with him. And if you're here this morning and you don't know who Jesus is or you've not received him as your Lord and Savior, you're in a good place because we're going to teach you all about him here this morning and each and every Sunday uh, we we unashamedly talk about Jesus. And so uh, we're glad that you're here and please know that you are uh, welcome and encouraged to ask questions and you're welcome to make this place your home even if you're not yet at a place of, of believing that Jesus is God. Well, this is an exciting morning for all kinds of reasons. One that you may not know about. It is a, It's actually someone's birthday. Uh, it is Redemption Church's birthday. Uh, that, that's a church that, that we sent out. We sent out Adam and his wife, Audrey, and their family with, with some others uh, to go plant the church out in Belvedere, Illinois, in Boone County uh, to see the gospel going out there. And, uh, so this Sunday marks one year that they've had their public services, and so they're, they're celebrating that. It's an awesome thing, definitely, definitely. It is our heart and our goal to continue to see churches planted and going out in the years ahead, and um, we get excited about seeing uh, growing healthy churches and new churches starting up, and so to see uh, a church plant turn one year old is a huge, huge thing, and something that's worthy of celebrating. Um, If you've ever been a part of a church plant before, that first year is oftentimes uh, the most difficult, as you're just going to some place and starting nothing, or starting something from nothing. And just really, you can have hard soil, and it's trying to spread the seeds of the gospel and seeing uh, things grow and, and fruit be produced there. And so we're so excited for redemption and all that God is doing in and through them. Uh, Pastor Adam had asked for a video uh, from a couple different churches he could play uh, this morning at redemption. And uh, so I, I put one together for him. And uh, some of the things that I want them to know that, that we were excited about, that we are praying for them, uh, I want to share with you this morning. Uh, I want a redemption to know that they are loved. Uh, a lot of times when you go off to start something new, uh, you can quickly feel uh, alone. and That's why one of the other things I want them to know is that they're not alone in this. That, that in addition to Meadowland, there's other churches and uh, people who are praying for them, who are supporting them in, in various different ways. And so I want them to know that uh, they're loved, that they're not alone. And that It's a job worth doing. Sometimes when things can get difficult, when they get challenging, um, and even for us here, as we continue to see God work in and through Meadowland, as we continue to see God grow, as we continue to deal with uh, the challenges that we have here, when things get difficult, sometimes you wonder, is it worth it? And the answer is yes. When it comes to sharing Jesus, when it comes to sharing the gospel, when it comes to to living the life of a disciple of Jesus and going out and making disciples, yes, it is worth it. Because even if one life is changed, That's someone's life. That's someone's life that is now different because they know Jesus. I call them to celebrate what God is doing in their lives, individually, in their church as a whole, in the opportunities that they found in their community. And as I think about that, man, I couldn't help but celebrate what God's doing here at Meadowland as well. Is the thing God's doing in individual lives of people here. And we're going to see some of those stories in two weeks on Easter at baptisms as people are sharing their stories of how God is working in and through them. What an amazing service. You don't want to miss it. I know for myself, every time I see a story of baptism, I just get goosebumps. I leave that service just on cloud nine, just excited to go and share the gospel in more corners of our community as I see God working in the lives of others. And so we can celebrate that. We can celebrate what's happening here at Meadowland. I think of things like we've had a regular flow of guests that come through Meadowland, and some make Meadowland home and some don't, and that's okay. We acknowledge that that, that there is a diversity of churches out there sharing the gospel, and that's cool. We can support that. We can get excited about that because there's different things that God's going to use to connect with others. And and so if you've invited a friend out to Meadowland and they've come and they say, hey, it's just not for me. Don't feel like you have to guilt trip them into coming. You can try it. If it works, cool. But you don't have to guilt trip them into coming. Say, hey, maybe we can find a church in the the community that that you can connect in with. But at the end of the day, make sure that what we're finding places that that stand on the truth of Jesus that, that make his name known. So we can celebrate that. We can celebrate the faithfulness and the steadfastness of this church as we deal with a less than ideal parking lot. Uh, I heard someone came in this morning with, with, with plastic bags on their shoes and they got in the door, got whipped them off and then their shoes are all clean. It was awesome. Just a great idea. And... Um, and I know we've been saying this, but just stick with me one more week and next week we'll be able to show you some of the plans we have and, and have some more specifics regarding that. And so we're making headway in that. Uh, it, it does feel like a hurry up and wait. If you're a fan of uh, animated movies, Monsters University has this scene where the snail uh, is going to class and a uh, monster version of a snail and the bell rings and he's like, I don't want to be late my first day. And he starts pumping his arms as fast as he can and just barely inching forward and sometimes i feel like that's where we're at we're putting all this energy to it and we're just kind of barely inching forward but we're making progress and had some great news this week so we're gonna be able to share some stuff with you guys uh next week so you definitely want to be here for that as well Uh, a little side note as we prepare for easter and 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 the extra guests that we're expecting that will be here as we're continuing to invite and and have others uh, come out and join us uh, we we'll are trying to do a little extra spring cleaning next weekend, uh, Saturday at 11 a.m. If you want to join in, we'll be here for a few hours. We'll have a list everything from small little projects to maybe some bigger ones, some painting and whatnot. So if you want to join us for that, that is Saturday at 11 a.m. We also can celebrate what God is doing in our community. Uh, last week was uh, I'm sorry. Yesterday, last Saturday was the last of four expos that we went to in the community, uh, and pretty much just shy of 1,500 personal invites got handed out via water bottles with a, with a tag on it, and just having a chance to engage with our community. And what an awesome opportunity! Uh, the Fox Lake Expo. Um, we're actually the, we're the only church there, which on one hand was sad. I was disappointed by that. You know, some other ones have multiple churches. Seeing again that there's other people, we're not alone in this, and sharing the gospel. Um, but it was cool to be able to see that we had the opportunity to get into that community and say, "Hey, we want you to hear about Jesus because we love you and we care about you." So we can celebrate opportunities like that. We can celebrate opportunities like VBS that we have coming up as well. So kind of transitioning into this, Jesus, a true and better story, a true and better Moses. Uh, concept that we're talking about this morning. I have a few questions I just want to be thinking about. <laughs> what, what does your daily life look like? How, how have you chosen to live your life? So I'm not just talking about you know what's your you know order for the morning. You know, of getting dressed, brushing your teeth, making your bed, getting your coffee. What, what, I'm not talking about that. Talk more I, I, on a deeper level. What does your daily life look like? Do you focus primarily on self or Maybe expand that on to you, know, onto you and yours. You know, your focus is on your family and those who are in your, your immediate circle. Maybe some friends in there. Do you get to a place where you have a community mindset? And if you don't, do you want that? Do you want to grow in that capacity? Or maybe you have a community mindset to a certain extent, but you really want to see that expand. What's the moral standard by which you daily live? And some people would say, well, I'm not really sure, but... Not choosing is making a choice in of itself because this isn't a, you can go left, and go right, or you can do something I mean, Life keeps going forward. And so inaction is a choice in that. And so we have to say, well, really, what do we look at for how we weigh out our own personal moral standard? <coughs> what do we base that on? How do you interact with others at home, at work, in your neighborhood, in passing, people that you'll probably never see again? Does that impact how you relate to them? And as we figure out what we base our moral standards on, how does that impact our actions, the things that we do? How does that impact our inaction, the things that we choose not to do? Maybe the things that we choose not to do that we feel maybe should have done. Do you seek God's heart for your life? And if you do, is it because you're motivated out of a response of love? As you see what God has done for you in your life and does so that motivate motivates you to want to seek his heart and live in a way that would honor him? Or is it simply because you want to avoid the consequences? Yeah, I'm just asking these questions so we can get in our heads an understanding of, okay, really, what does my daily life look like? Who, who am I living for? And See, I believe that as we come to know who God is and know more about him, we inevitably ask questions like this. Do I measure up? Will I make the cut and be on God's team? Am I accepted by God as his son or his daughter? Well, fortunately, God has sent us someone to help us answer these questions uh, and ones like it. Um, We actually are going to see here this morning in the Old Testament, he sends Moses as as a mediator between him and his people. And as we look at this concept of uh, a true and better Moses, we're going to see the person of Jesus who God sent uh, who, to be a mediator between us and God. So throughout this series, we've also kind of seen this broad overview of Jewish history, right? We, we talked about this covenant, this promise that God made with Abraham, about I'll give you land, I'll give you, uh, you'll be a nation, your people, uh, your offspring will, will become a great nation, and then I'll, I'll give you blessing, and you'll be a blessing on all the earth. Then we begin to see his family line, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who becomes Israel, but still, it seems okay that there really wasn't much expansion. There wasn't a nation being created yet. But then last week, we talked about Joseph and began to see the beginnings of that. Well, this is one of those pivotal parts in those stories. If you ever uh, maybe had a few pieces of the, the biblical historical narrative, you're like, I'm not sure how those all fit together. What happens right around the life of Joseph and then after kind of begins to have uh, an ability to fill in those pieces. So if you remember from last week, for those who were here, uh, Pharaoh had a dream that, that Joseph was able to interpret by God's help about seven years of famine and then, I'm sorry, seven years of, of prosperity and then seven years of famine that were to come to Egypt. And so they took the appropriate measures to store up enough food, and then everyone else was running out of food, and so the people were coming to Egypt to find food. And that's what brought Joseph's family to, to him, and, and he revealed himself, and he said, Hey, come, we have food here. And so Joseph's family, Israel, migrates to Egypt. At this point now, you have the, the, the 12 brothers, and so they're beginning to have kids, and their kids are having kids, and, and very quickly this nation begins to grow that is living in Egypt. What's interesting is, this is where our story picks up this morning as we look at the person of Moses, uh, living in Egypt, Israel continues to increase in number, and eventually a new pharaoh enters onto the scene who either uh, doesn't know or doesn't care to know about some of the history. You know, at this point, you know, a lot of the names we've been talking about have already passed, and Joseph's not a part of the picture anymore. It's all their ancestors, and there's a new Pharaoh who just sees a threat. That's one of the things you see throughout um, not just biblical history, but just uh, really any any historical record. We have a a king or someone who has this large deal of power and authority, is many times instead of being freed up to live within that, hey, I, I have the power to do whatever I want because I'm in charge. They have this fear of of losing that and and they they make these decisions poorly based off of trying to hold on to that or protect that. And so the Pharaoh basically says, hey, I I don't want this people group to become a a massive power. And so there's a a point in their history where where they become enslaved by Egypt. Now they're no longer a people, but they're a property in the eyes of the Egyptians. And they continue to grow them because God's promises are still reigning true that they're going to become a nation they're continuing to expand. And, And again, Pharaoh's like, hey, They may partner up with with my neighbors, an enemy. They may just have their own uprising. And so we we need to keep them in a position of weakness, but still able to work as slaves. And so he puts his plan together, and he calls all the midwives, basically those those who would help with the delivery of babies, and he says, if any Hebrew has a male baby, you're to take the baby and throw it in the Nile, the Nile River. Basically, kill the baby. Any male babies are to be killed, slaughtered. And his thinking is, hey, if we can take out a generation of, of the boys, of the men, you know, that typically that, that, that would be, you know, especially at that point in time in history, um, the army would be made up of entirely men. And so if he can take them away, okay, now he still has his slaves, but he doesn't have to, have to worry about the power. And so the midwives come back, and fortunately they, they uh, followed God and, and not Pharaoh. And so when he realized, hey, that there's still a lot of uh, Hebrew babies around, What's up here? So he calls them, uh, and they basically kind of make up this story where they just say, well, see, I mean, you, you Egyptian ladies, you're, you're, all a little, you're a little pampered, let's put it that way. And these Hebrew women, man, when they have a baby, boom, they, they pop that sucker out. And that's the story they say. Hey, the, they, they happen too fast. By the time we get there, the baby's born, and it's all done, and you know, we, we can't do what you asked us to do. And, and basically they say, well, in essence, no, we're not going to do that. And so then he commands the, the Egyptians, say, hey, if you see a baby, a baby boy it needs to be killed. And so then Moses' mother uh, gives birth to Moses and this is the condition of the world that Moses is born into where before he's even born there's already a, someone out to kill him, someone out to take his life and eventually he was too old to hide, about three months old, and his mom had to figure something out. And interesting enough, as we look at some of the parallels between Moses and Jesus, we see a huge one right here. That Moses was born at a time where all the, the, the male babies were, were being slaughtered. Jesus, when he was born, right? Herod knew the prophecies and was like, hey, I, I don't want this new king to come and, and, and challenge my authority. And so he says, hey, any, any boy, you know, zero to two, let's kill him. Born in this time frame, in this place based off of the prophecies. And so they're both born in that similar time, uh, similar environment. (coughs) So Moses' mother, you may be familiar with some of the story, takes a basket, lines it with tar, uh, so it's waterproof, puts in her baby and and sends him down the river. And he he comes to a point floating down the river where none other than the Pharaoh's daughter and all those who her entourage would be uh, bathing or whatever they're doing and then she sees this basket with the baby. And she draws him out of the water. That's, that's literally what Moses means, is, is drawn out. And so she takes Moses and she raises him as her own. He grows up with every opportunity. He's raised as royalty. We know that he also knows where he came from. He, he knows that, that he's not Egyptian by birth, but that he is Hebrew. And we see this when he sees an Egyptian. You know, now at this point he's grown in his life, and, and he sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew slave. <laughs> Excuse me. And basically, he goes to the defense of that slave, and he, and he beats and he kills the Egyptian. And he, he kind of realizes, well, what have I done? And so he, he buries the body in, in the sand, and he hides it, and, and kinda, there were some witnesses, and so what's he do? He runs. He runs in fear for his life. He leaves this family and this life of royalty out of fear. And here we actually see another parallel to the story of Jesus. A little different. But Jesus leaves a place of of royalty, of comfort. Basically leaves heaven and comes to us. Not out of of fear, but out of love. And so you can again see more of these parallels between their stories. of How the story of Moses uh, foreshadows and, and, and points forward to the story of Jesus. So Moses leaves Leaves Egypt. And if you're familiar with the story of the burning bush, this is where that happens. He goes out in the wilderness. He lives out there. Becomes a shepherd. Uh, takes a wife. Um, finds a wife. Takes someone as a wife. That mean he just grabs someone. Hey, you're wife material. Um. <coughs> uh, young men who don't have a wives, that I do not advocate that. Do not just grab a lady and say, be my wife. Um. So he goes and he finds a wife and, and uh, he you know begins to raise a family and, and uh, becomes a shepherd, and all of a sudden, God speaks to him. This is the, the story of the burning bush. And God says, I'm sending you to the to your people, to my people, to Israel. And I'm sending you to deliver them from the hand of Pharaoh. you got to imagine that, that Moses hears this and he's like, I, I, I don't know if I can do that. Um, you, th- thank you, brother. Uh, you, you realize that, that they probably won't be dead, God, right? You also realize, I'm, I don't speak very goodly. And that's kind of paraphrased, but that's what he says. And God's like, I got you covered. And so he sends Moses back into Egypt. And he goes before Pharaoh and he says, let my people go. And this is the Charlton Heston version. You've probably seen this of the, the, the Ten Commandments where the plagues hit and all these different plagues hit on the people of Egypt. And what's interesting about these plagues is, is it doesn't simply attack Egypt and, and and you know kind of wear down their resources, and in essence, God is fighting the Israelites' battle for them, but he's also fighting against their false gods. Let me give you two examples of this. There's uh Enuket, who is the goddess of the Nile that the Egyptians would worship. What, what's the first plague that we see? Turns the Nile and all water to blood. So here's this false god the Egyptians serve. And then Moses comes, and says, Let my people go. If not, plagues are coming. Pharaoh's like, give me your worst. All right, plague number one. You have this God of the Nile, my God's stronger. Turns the Nile blood red. We see one of the the last ones, I believe it's the ninth one, where the sun is blocked out, and they had a a false god for that. I mean, The Egyptians didn't see it that way. They they served the sun god, Ra. Yet Moses is saying, hey, let my people go, or my God is going to release another plague. And the play that God does, again, says, hey, I, I am more powerful than what you believe to be God. So Pharaoh eventually releases God's people, uh, only to change his mind. After they're released from Egypt, he says, you know what? I made a mistake. Let's go get them. And he chases them down with his chariots. And now all of a sudden, the people of God are stuck between an army and a sea. Come to a point where they have the Red Sea in front of them, and they have the chariots bearing down on them uh, behind them. If you got your Bibles, with you, you can go ahead and open up to Exodus, Exodus chapter fourteen. Uh, basically, we just covered multiple chapters of Exodus, and so if you want to go back and reread some of this, I'd encourage you to spend some time in Exodus. Uh, but I just want to add on a few highlights as, as we go this morning. This is Exodus fourteen thirteen through fourteen, where the people of God have been released from Egypt, but now Pharaoh has changed his mind. He's like, hey. Nope, nope, this isn't how this is going to play out. This isn't how the history books are going to record this. We've got to change something. So he sends out his chariots, and he goes with them. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. What a powerful passage there. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. And so what happens? They stand firm. They stand on the ground. They trust in God. And God works through Moses, his mediator, between him and his people, to part the Red Sea. And they pass through the Red Sea on dry ground. And as they've crossed then the chariots are finally upon them, and they pursue them through the sea. And that's when the sea closes back up and wipes out the entire chariot army. And so we see Exodus 14 uh, comes true right then and there. You're not going to see them again. I've brought you beyond the, the sea to a place of life. So, Israel crosses on dry ground. The Egyptians are destroyed. The people of God are saved. They're given life as God works through his mediator, Moses. And see, this is really, if you walk away with nothing else this morning, this is what I want you to walk away with. That God has given us a mediator between us and him in the person of Jesus. God has given us someone. To act as a mediator between him and us, and that's the person of Jesus. Okay, we see what that looks like to be a mediator, go between between God and His people in the story of Moses. But Jesus is a true and better Moses. Apart from Him, uh, we have a life that leads to death. In the same way that the Hebrews, without God working through His mediator of Moses, would have been left in a place of sin, would have been left in a place of bondage in slavery, which would have led to their death, right? There's 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 no life they were living. They would wake up, they would work, they would go to sleep. They'd wake up, they would work, they would go to sleep. If the Pharaoh said, hey, let's kill all the boys, they'd be killed. They were viewed as property. In a similar way, apart from God, we live a life that leads to death, separation from God. But through Jesus, God provides a way to life in the same way that through Moses, God provided a way for his people to come to life. 1 Timothy 2, 5-6 tells us this, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. See, it, it, this is the good news of God. If you ever found someone saying, Hey, I, I can't work my way to God. I've, I've messed up too much of my life you can join with them and say, I know, me too. I can't work my way to God either. That there's nothing that we can do to repair the relationship that we have with God apart from Jesus. Because we've made mistakes, large or small. We've all sinned. We've all missed the mark of what God has called us to. But when he gives us Jesus, we trust in him, we receive that free gift of life, our sins are forgiven. And we move from a place of death to life. In the same way that the Israelites were between the army and the sea, and then God provided a way for them to move from a place of death, slavery, and bondage to life and freedom through his mediator Moses. Where we stand today, through the mediator of Jesus, God moves us from a place of death in our sin, separation from him, to life and life eternal. So if we continue out the story, we could say, so then once Israel crossed over, they lived happily ever after, right? That was, everything went well from there. Not quite. Basically, Moses continues to be a mediator for God and to, to his people. And he, God shares the law. Basically, here's how I want you to go and live. He gives it to his people through Moses. He gives them uh, the Ten Commandments. We're going to hit on that in a moment. But while all this is happening, Moses is up on a mountaintop uh, uh, interacting with God, and very quickly the people grow restless. And they say, how much longer is this going to take? You know what? Moses isn't here. He was the one who was mediating between us and God. So if he's not here, we we need a new God. And and a group of people, not not all of Israel, but a group of them go to Aaron, who is Moses' brother, kind of worked alongside him, and say, hey, we need a God. And so they get a bunch of gold, they melt down all their gold, and, and they make this golden calf. And just this moment of absolute, you guys say, what were you guys thinking? Do you not see all that God had, had just done? They say, hey, this calf is our new God. This calf is what led us out of Egypt. you got to wonder how many who are still following God thought and said, no, it's not. That's just something you just made. You just made that. That's not, that's not God. There's no power in that. What does this reveal? Well, it kind of reveals their heart. That like, even though their circumstances have changed, that didn't necessarily mean that their heart had changed as well. Now you got to imagine there's people of God all across the board when they were in slavery to Egypt. There are probably some who, who held fast and said, No, God said that, that you know He made a promise with our forefather Abraham and continue that for Isaac and Jacob. And, and we've seen how God has kept His promises. He's going to come rescue us. He's heard our pleas. Let's just continue to be faithful and cry out to God. You probably had other people who said, I haven't seen this guy you're talking about. I haven't seen our forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You know, they're all long gone. All I know is every day I get forced into slavery. I get forced to work. And my family and friends are being abused and killed. There are probably people all over the place, and some continue to walk with God, and others like, I, I don't know. I'm unsure. But God fulfills his promises, and he brings all of the nation of God Out from captivity. but I hear some of them are like, hey, we're going to worship this golden calf. So what does that reveal? I think it reveals a way that we can think sometimes about change as well. We we see change, we think something like this. We think, if my circumstances can change, then all is going to be good. Right? We have some big issue going on in our life. And all we think is, hey, if if this one circumstance would change, then I'm going to be good. For example, Israel could have been saying, hey, if we can just get rid of Egypt, which means get rid of the Egyptians, all's going to be good. You know, just take care of the slavery thing, and everything's going to be good. But we see it's not the case, because that's just what's happened. They've been freed from Egypt, and now hear some of them who are pursuing a false god. Ways that we say that in our life today. Maybe you're at a place <coughs> where you're trying to walk with God uh, in any way you can, and uh, maybe there's some sexual temptation in your life. You're not married yet. You think, hey, if I get married, that will change my circumstances and I'll be freed from all those sexual temptations. It doesn't work that way. If anything, adds more temptation. It adds more conflict and potential issues to work through. Maybe you have anger issues. Hey, you know what? I've just seen kids be just such an amazing bundle of joy and people talk about how when they had a kid, their heart just melted. So, you know what, instead of dealing with my anger issues, I just need to change my circumstances. I need to have a kid, right? Because then I'll be more happy because my kid's just awesome. (laughs) Yes, your kid's awesome, but no, you won't be more happy. They'll bring about more anger issues probably. They'll they'll, they'll emphasize what's already the, the condition of the heart. We say things like, hey, I, I know I have money issues, but if I just had a job that paid more, that would fix all my money issues. If you don't know how to handle a little bit of money, getting more money for yourself doesn't fix that. It just gives you more ways to screw up. We, we say it all the time. If, if my circumstances would change, all will be well. If I just get a different job or a promotion, my authority issues will be dealt with. No, it just, again, emphasizes them. Well, I just need to move to a new town or a new house, and that will, that will solve my relational issues with my neighbor. No, it'll give you new neighbors to have relational issues with. If I simply accomplish this one goal, my life would be good. I'd be all good. If I had this, then I would be content. We look at the circumstance instead of looking to God in that. So we can keep reshuffling the deck of life, but the cards still come out the same. So the question we need to ask you is more: is what or who is it that has the power to change lives? And as we look through Scripture, we say it, it's God who chooses to work through his mediator that brings about life change. We see that in the story of Moses, and we see that in the story of Jesus. God speaks to Moses. He gives them the law to give to the people so they can align their hearts with God. Okay, I brought, my, this is basically God saying to Moses, I brought you guys out of Egypt, and I want to see you walking with me. I want your heart to be in step with my heart. So let me give you my law. And so he gives the law to his people through Moses. He gives a promise to Moses, Moses called the Mosaic Covenant. Exodus 19.5 reveals some of it. It says this, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for, for all the earth is mine. He kind of unpacks this throughout Exodus, but we see basically God says to Moses, All right, if my people obey my law, they'll be blessed. If they don't, no, no guarantees. And we see that in the history as they continue to move forward. When they're walking with God, there was prosperity, but then they focused on the prosperity and not God, and they fell away from God, moved to a place of disobedience. And the blessing was withdrawn from them. But Moses continued to be a mediator between God and his people. And the law is given, and we see kind of a summary of the law found in the Ten Commandments. Uh, If we look at the Ten Commandments, we're going to zip through them here real quick, but the opening four talk about our relationship with God. And and in the closing six, talk about our relationship with others, which helps us to see when Jesus' question about what is the greatest commandment in the law, why he says, okay, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, is, hey, I'll give you a bonus one. And the second one is this, that you would love others as yourself. He's summarizing the Ten Commandments. He's summarizing all of God's law. Love God and love others. As I read through these, just take a personal assessment. Hey, where am I at when it comes to this commandment? Am I living this out? Are there things I need to repent of? Is there something God's trying to do in my life today? This is uh, from Exodus chapter 20. God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. That's the first one. You shall not make yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. The golden calf comes to mind. You shouldn't have any false gods or idols. Verse 7, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Those are the first four about our relationship with God. Now we see the last six. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. See, depending on what sin was committed, there was a structure of sacrifices. And people got to take their sacrifice um, and, that, and offered up to God. Uh, and that sacrifice, in essence, took the place of their sin. The sacrifice's blood was shed and not their own. <laughs> See, life for an Israelite underneath this Mosaic covenant looks something like this. They were in a foreign land, Egypt, that would lead them to death. They were in bondage there. They, they took shelter under the blood of the Lamb. We're going to talk about that on Good Friday, what Passover is, as they put the blood of the Lamb over their doorpost, as the angel of death went through all of Egypt, taking the lives of the firstborn. But they were protected, those who had the blood of the Lamb on their door. So they took shelter under the blood of the Lamb, and they were led out by Moses, their mediator with God. They crossed from place of death into life, and we see that as they crossed over the Red Sea on the road to the Promised Land. Four, in the sense where they're not there yet. They weren't at the promised land yet after they crossed the Red Sea, but God gave them the law, his word for daily life. And Israel, really underneath the Mosaic Covenant could have said this, number five, that we have the tabernacle, which is a, is a fancy word for tent, and the Ark of the Covenant, which is uh, w- the box that certain things were kept in, including the Ten Commandments. And uh, the Ark and then the tabernacle, the tent, were the signs that God's presence was with them. To really simplify, you could say the Ark was God's chair, and the tent was God's house. He said, hey, I want you to have a sign that I am with you. And so here you have these things. as a sign of God's presence in their camp. And then Israel, underneath the Mosaic Covenant, was led forward to the promised land by God through the Holy Spirit. There's actually a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud that would lead them through the wilderness as they were on the road to the promised land. <laughs> but see, here today, we live under a new covenant. So there's this Mosaic covenant. Hey, obey me and be blessing. If you don't, no promises. But there's a new covenant that we live under. Because we have a different mediator. We have the mediator of Jesus. Hebrews 9.15 tells us this. Therefore he is the mediator of a new covenant. This so is referring to Jesus. So that those who are called may receive the promise eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. There's a new covenant in Jesus, and it means two things. When we trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. A new covenant, a new promise in Jesus brings freedom from sin forever. A simple truth, but one that just allows to, to sit in your heart this morning. Freedom from sin forever. See, Jesus' sacrifice was sufficient. The Old Testament covenant, a covenant with, with Moses... You would come to God with your sacrifice every time there was something new you needed to repent of. With the new covenant in Jesus, the sacrifice has already been done. Jesus has already laid down his life. And so we come to God in repentance. We're free from sin. And that leads to the next point, is that a new covenant in Jesus brings freedom to live forever. I want you to see this almost as, as two different things. Freedom to live forever it means it brings eternal life. Because our sin is now dealt with at the sacrifice of Jesus, we have eternal life with God, but it also brings freedom to live. Think back to some of those opening questions about how you live your life. That then lead to this question of, you know, do I measure up? Do I, am I living the life that God wants me to live? Am I accepted by God? But when we understand the new covenant that we live under in Jesus, there's freedom to live. We don't have to live in a place of fear of have I done enough because the sacrifice of Jesus is sufficient. We don't need to wonder if we're accepted by God because we are and we have His Holy Spirit in our lives as a seal that we can never be snatched away from Him. God's already done all that work. So I'll give you a close with a comparison or a contrast between those who live under the old covenant and those who live under the new covenant. Similarly, We're in a foreign land that leads to death and bondage to sin, apart from Jesus. This world that has sin in it is not what we are meant for. And it leads to death, separation from God. But we're rescued by the blood of the Lamb of God, through Jesus, our mediator with God. We cross from a place of death into life when we trust in Jesus. And this is signified in baptism. In baptism, it says we share in the death, burial, and resurrection with Jesus when we go into the water and come back up. What an amazingly powerful symbolism in that, going from death to life on the road of the promised land. And we also say we're not there yet, but we have Jesus for daily life. Where in the Old Testament, under, under Moses, they had the law. Here we have Jesus. In the book of Matthew, chapter 5, Jesus talks about how he's come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And then he kind of walks through uh, this awesome sermon, and he hits on all these different things, and he hits on some different things in relation to the Old Testament law that uh, his audience would have been familiar with. And he says this, hey, you've heard it said, don't murder. But I say, if you hold anger towards your brother in your heart, you've committed a murder. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But then Jesus says, I say, if you lust after another woman in your heart, you've committed adultery. You've heard it said, don't bear false witness. But Jesus says, I say, simply that your yes be your yes, and your no be your no. He takes all these laws that they're familiar with, and he says, it's not just the action, but it's a condition of the heart as well. And on one hand, so we could read through that list of, of the Ten Commandments. There's probably some of those we could say, okay, I'm good. I've, I've not murdered anybody today. Uh, I, I think it's been you know, a couple of years since that happened. You know, We're going to talk about the 70s, whatever. <laughs> it's like, there's some of those, yeah, I've never murdered someone. And even if you have, I mean, it's okay. There's forgiveness. Well, it's not. There's forgiveness. Um, you say, you know, maybe I've never committed adultery. Or maybe there's some of those, you know, I know I've never done some of those. But we begin to see how Jesus unpacks it. It's a condition of the heart as well. All of a sudden, we're like, wow, I'm guilty of all ten. I've messed up in all the ways. Steve, I thought this new covenant brings freedom to live and it does because the price has already been paid in Jesus. Price has already been paid in Jesus and so he's just saying, hey, this isn't to condemn you more because that price has already been paid but this calls us about how we are to go and live because see, five, we have the Holy Spirit in us. Moses and his people had the tabernacle and the ark as a sign of God's presence. We have the Holy Spirit as a sign of God's presence. And then we're led forward to a promised land, which is eternity, by God. See, Jesus is a true and better Moses. He is a mediator between man and God who brings us to a place of freedom in life. Depending on your upbringing, depending on your understanding of God, I think some people are left with this this feeling that I need to go to someone who can help me get right with God. I need to go to a pastor or a priest or a leader in a church and and there's something that they need to do, some kind of uh, uh, spiritual practice or religious event that needs to take place before I can be right with God. Because of the work of Jesus, that is not necessary. Jesus is the mediator. He is the one that we go to. And so what does that mean for us? Here today, for those who have already received Jesus as Lord and Savior, it means we are sent out not to be mediators between man and God, but to go and be ambassadors of Jesus, to go and be followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus, who introduce people to Jesus, the mediator between man and God, who through his work on the cross, made it so we can be free from sin and free to live life and live life forever. Let's pray. Father God, you are an amazing God, and we thank you that there's a new covenant in Jesus, a new promise. We thank you that we can be forgiven of our sin when we turn to you, Lord Jesus. <laughs> we trust in you for that. We thank you that we don't have to live in a place of fear of having, have we done enough, but we can stand on the truth that our sin is paid for in full at the cross by the work of Jesus. Father, help us to turn our eyes away from our circumstances and to turn them towards you. Even those that wanted to seek after this golden calf, after all you had done, they kept thinking about Egypt, Egypt, Egypt. Their mind was on their circumstances and not on you, Father God. If they would have turned to you, they would have seen what you were doing as you continued to give your word to them through Moses. Help us be faithful in that, Father God. That we would turn to you, we would trust in you, we would rely on you, Father God, for life and life everlasting. And then, Father, let us be sent out to go and share you, Lord Jesus, with this community, with all who are here, who all will, with all who will hear. We surrender our lives to you and trust in you, God. In your name, amen.